Shalom, and thank you for listening to the weekly teaching from Nachamu Ami. It's our honor that you've chosen to participate virtually, and we hope that this lesson will be an inspiration in your daily walk. Don't miss a single teaching. Be sure to download the Nachamu Ami app by visiting our website at www.makeandmessianic.com and clicking the Download the App button in the top left corner. Enjoy the message. I've decided that today's teaching is Lessons in Evangelism, Courtesy of Noah. And Noah, as you know in Hebrew, he has a, a very short name, two letters, Noah. But that's how you say it. And if you really want to sound impressive in front of your friends, you call it Noah's Ark. Okay? But we're going we're gonna to study him because that is the portion. And we're going to, of course, find a deep and meaningful way that that's connected to our Messiah, Yeshua. So here's my first question, and I'll have a few of those for you today. Was Noah righteous? Okay, so there's two good answers that actually represent some opinions about Noah's righteousness. Sam said, the Bible says it. And indeed, the Bible does say it. And it's not arguable when we read, so the Lord said, I will, this is from last week's portion. This is the first portion of the Torah Bereshit. It ends with saying in, in uh, 6, 7, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. It goes on from there. Now, you would think, just as a side note, you would think that if you get your own Torah portion named for you, you got to be pretty special. I mean, Noah, he got it. He got, this is his Torah portion, right? That rule goes out the window. We also have a Parsha Korach. We also have a Parsha Balaam, so, uh, or a Balak. So that doesn't mean anything. But the scripture confirms for us that these are the generations of Noah he was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. That's pretty righteous. Now, there's a little caveat that we won't get into that you can study if you want to that talks about in his generations. That's a long story. We're not going to go there today. But that is pretty righteous. Now, I want you to forget about that drunk thing that happened later. If you were on a boat for a year with several thousand animals and your feet finally hit the ground, you would plant a vineyard too. And you don't know what you would do. God still considered him righteous. Now, here's a tough question. If Noah was righteous, and he was, was he a redeemer? Was Noah a righteous redeemer? The, the consensus I'm hearing is low. No. And there's a couple of Kens thrown in there. Not Ken and Barbie. Ken as in yes, low as in no in Hebrew. I mean, listen. 
he found favor in the eyes of God. If it were not for Noah, we would not be talking. There would be no world. Also, Noah was very much a redeemer to his own family because it does not say Noah was righteous in the eyes of God, Shem was righteous in the eyes of God, Japheth was not righteous. It just says these are his kids and how many people got on the boat? Eight. Why did they get on the boat? Because Noah was righteous in the eyes of God. And therefore, the answer is Ken. Noah goes so far as to be the redeemer of the entire world through his righteousness. Just because it makes it out as if, well, Noah was the one guy. You think it was easy to be righteous in Noah's generation? If it were, a lot more people than, than him would have had that, that title. So yes, Noah actually presents for us a picture of the redemption of the world through righteousness. This is something that we see lived out perfectly in our Messiah Yeshua through, we say it, Every Shabbat, we say, For the sake of our Master Yeshua in His merit and virtues, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart. It's His righteousness. It's His merit. And Noah, Noah is showing us this in Parsha 2 of the Torah. God always had always had a plan of redemption in mind, even from before the creation of the world. So as a matter of fact, he is a righteous redeemer. Now, tougher question. Why is it then righteous, righteous redeemer, savior of the world to that point, why is it that Noah did not hear these words? I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people on the earth will be blessed by you. Why did, first of all, who heard those words? Avram, who later became Avraham, the father of many. Why did Noah not hear those words? Because, I mean, for real, without Noah, as I've already stated, there are no nations. There are no people. And he was righteous. Why didn't he get that type of blessing from God? Why was that reserved for someone who came later? Was Abraham more righteous than Noah? I mean, clearly God liked Abraham a lot, <clears throat> right? It's, is it about righteousness for Abraham that he got to hear these words? Is it about merit? Well, for this answer, and this is where we're going to center our thoughts today, I want to consider a very interesting quote, which is actually in and of itself three questions from the great sage of Israel, Hillel. Who knows Hillel? Hillel and Shammai, a little history on Hillel, great sage, golden rule in a form. He predated Yeshua, lived prior to, died around the year 10 CE. Yeshua was a very young man, but Hillel and Shammai were two of the most influential sages in Judaism. So Hillel, his words, his teachings, his thoughts would have been in the pot 
around when our Messiah Yeshua is walking the earth. Okay? You with me? That's Hillel. Here's Hillel's statement, which is actually found in Pirkei Avot, the sayings of the fathers. He says, if I am not for myself, who will be for me? But if I am only for myself, who am I? And if not now, when? And that last part of that, if not now, if not now, matai, when? Those are the words that grace the piece of art as you leave the synagogue out the back door, right next to the big cabinet, it says that. It's supposed to be a reminder. Now you know what it means. If not now, when? So his three questions were, if I am not for myself, who is for me? But if I am only for myself, who am I? And if not now, when? What in the world does that have to do with what we're talking about? Well, here's the story. The sages of Israel had a challenge with Noah. What was Noah's mission? What was his task? Tell me. Build an ark. Put your family in it. Make a covenant with you. I'm going to save the world through you. That was Noah's mission, right? How many did Noah save? Eight. Plus thousands of animals. How many did he save by his mission alone? Eight is the answer we've got. And it's correct, although we could say, well, he saved the entire world. We've already said that. But I'm talking about in terms of this immediate mission, Noah saved eight people. So Noah exemplified part one of Hillel's dictum very well. If I am not for myself, then who will be for me? What did he do? He took his family, built this crazy big ship, and then saved that which was closest to him. How many perished in the flood? Kulam is the word. Kulam means everyone. The entire human race died in the flood. And therefore, there is this idea among the sages that every human is endowed with the ability to rise above his mission. You are given a mission, but God also puts within you the ability to rise above your mission. Did Noah rise above his mission? Eight, kulam, saved eight everyone else, potentially millions of people, died. So the sage's challenge there is, he didn't do the second part. If I am not for me, then who will be? But if I'm only for me, what am I? Who did exemplify one and two parts of Hillel's dictum? Abraham did. How? What was Abraham's mission? We're going to read it next week, right? Lech Lecha, it's Parsha 3. At the end of Parsha 2, okay, so we met Adam and Eve, Parsha 1. At the end of that, we met Noah, 
a redeemer of the world. Parsha 2 is called Noah, and we're meeting Noah. Who do we meet at the end of Parsha 3? Avram. And his portion, his story begins next week in Lech Lecha. Lech Lecha is Abraham's primary mission. What was it? Take your family and leave. Go out. Right? You with me? That was his mission. It says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So in the first chapter, we've already met two redeemers of sorts. Abraham is the father of, 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 the, of ultimately what would become Yeshua. But that's not my point. These are prophetic words from God spoken about Abraham because he hasn't done the thing yet in the chapter. That's the beginning of Lech Lecha. After that, Abraham's going to do something very important. But these are prophetic words spoken over Abraham because God already knows when he speaks that Abraham is going to rise above that mission. So before he even does the action of rising above the mission, God has already given and spoken these amazing words that Avram will become Abraham, the father of many nations. What did Abraham do to rise above the nations? We, I mean, above the mission. We don't have to look very far. It follows in the next verse. But Abraham, but it says, Abraham took his wife, Sarah, and his brother's son, Lot, and all the wealth they had amassed, and the persons they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Do you know what that is? The persons that they had acquired in Haran, it actually in the Hebrew says what? The souls they had made. What did they do in Haran? These are not, I mean, there is, there's, a, there's a literal interpretation that says, well, yeah, it's greedy old Abraham. You know, he's the father of Jews. He's greedy. He took all his slaves with him. That's not how we read that spiritually. What is that saying? Abraham made disciples of God in Haran. And when he was called to take his family, he said, it's not enough. If I am only for myself, who am I? So he takes Sarah and he takes Lot and he takes the souls that they had made with him. What did he do? He expanded the kingdom of God. He rose above the mission he was given and he continued in it through his hospitality and through saving Lot and through arguing for those 10. If there's just 10 in Sodom, God saved them. He was constantly rising above his mission. And he was this great, amazing fulfillment of this picture that Hillel paints for us thousands of years later. I am for myself, but I'm also for you. And here's the question that I'll ask you with the most interesting answer. Why were the animals on the ark? Seems obvious, right? What? I mean, we can say, well, there wouldn't have been any more animals and that would have been kind of a bad thing. But here's my question. 
God, you know, they were on the boat for a year and a little bit. God could have remade all the animals. What a huge hassle. I mean, to build this massive structure and then have to collect all these animals, God could have just, he could have wiped everything out and he could have just, while they were sitting out to sea and the dry land was showing up, God could have said, there they are, they're back again. Don't worry about it. Noah, you don't know what I saved you from. But he didn't. He had to build a huge boat and collect all these animals. Why? Well, here's the interesting consideration. If you are on a boat for over a year caring for thousands of species of animals, do you ever get a chance to focus on yourself? No. There's never a minute's rest. You're constantly caring for something or someone or cleaning something up or feeding something or doing something. Who even can imagine that? Why would God have Noah do that? Because he didn't get his mission. What was the purpose of the animals? To say, Noah... It is so far beyond you. You've dropped the ball. So here's your lesson. I'm going to put you on this boat and you saved eight people, but you are never going to have a minute's rest because all of your efforts will be focused outward on caring for someone or something other than you. Do you follow me? Does anyone follow me? It's a spiritual consideration. It could have been so easy, but it wasn't so easy because God wanted to say, Noah, you're a righteous dude. I love you. You walk with me. But it's not just about you. And so from cleaning up elephant dung and feeding hay to the horses for 300 plus days, I want you to learn that lesson. Because... You actually are going to be the one who has to restore creation. And I want you to have an outward focus. And yeah, you're going to plant a vineyard, but I'll overlook that thing. His whole intention is to say, guys, us today, it gives us a perfect picture of this, of our calling our lesson in discipleship, our connection to Messiah Yeshua, because there's this other really great thing that I read in the commentary, one of the many commentaries I was reading, that says this. Think about it. Great people can be dealt with as severely for not doing right as for doing wrong. Great people can be dealt with just as severely for not doing right as doing wrong. Where do we have an example of this? Do you remember the parable of the talents? Of course you do. Here's five. Here's a couple. Here's one. Go do something. Well, he didn't even, he didn't actually tell them what to do, did he? Hang on a second. Let me see who's calling here. Just kidding. Um, I can't believe I have my phone. As the rabbi, I have my phone going off in services. I have not risen above the mission. 
Um, You remember this story, of course, it's in Matthew 25. Five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. His master said to him, what? Well done, good and faithful servant. What did you do? You rose above the mission. The two came forward and he said, Master, you delivered me to two talents. Here, I've made two more. His master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little, your little mission, and you've done more. And the one came and said, you're a jerk. I didn't do anything with it. Here it is. And what did he say? Not very good. The answer is harsh and it's applicable to our, our, our message. Noah's righteous, but, but, and he walked with God, but this opinion suggests that he, re, he, he was internally focused and he missed the mark. And how Abraham, of course, changed that. Now, who's the ultimate? We see Noah, he has some good stuff. Interesting to note this as well. Noah walked with God, but the sages say, note that Abraham walked before God. He was on another level. But who's the ultimate? Who's the ultimate example of Yeshua's, of uh, Hillel's dictum? I just gave it away. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I mean, he was the Messiah, the perfect righteous one, the savior of the world. Was it not enough for him to just say and sit? I'm the king, I'm here, come and serve me. He didn't do that. He was troubled by people outside of himself, the son of God walking on earth. He rose so far above the mission. It was not enough for him to say, I'm here. He was for others. And I love this idea where where we see Yeshua saying to the teachers saying, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. There's so many things I believe that Abraham saw in his day and rejoiced, but I think this is one of them, that my ultimate descendant, the ultimate realization is in this guy, Yeshua, and Abraham's looking forward and he sees, look how he poured himself out for others. Surely this is my example. Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. Now, Yeshua says a lot of other important things, but he also says this to his disciples. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Do you know what that is? That's part three of Hillel's dictum. Did you hear what I just said before the Hillel's dictum thing? What Yeshua said. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. That's a rabbinic statement as well. But what does it mean? It means, im lo achshav matai. If not now, when? Yeshua is saying to these disciples of his, listen, you got it. You got it inside, but you got to take it outside. And right now, 
So if I am not for myself, who will be for me? Get it. If I am only for myself, who am I? Get out there and do something with it. If not now, when? Never is the answer. Now is the time. Hillel pretty much knew what he was talking about. And Yeshua certainly knew what he was talking about. And so we recognize God does care about the fact that we care for ourselves. It's okay to love yourself. Did you know that? It's okay to care for yourself. As a matter of fact, it's a commandment to care for yourself. You should be caring for yourself. And you should be caring for your family. There are responsibilities. And God calls us to be productive for ourselves like the ant in Proverbs. And we should be wise when it comes to preserving our lives and planning for the future and building security around our families. But as Noah learned, as Abraham demonstrated and Yeshua fulfilled in perfection, we are created for others as well. And the gift that you hold inside is part of your mission, but there's much, 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 much more. And not to be overly dramatic, but in this time of life that we're living in where the world is pretty doggone crazy. Yeshua said these would be like the days of Noah. So all the more as Messiah Yeshua is making his way and coming back and the end of days are coming and things are preparing and the waters are swirling and though the world will never be destroyed by water again. There's a time coming and it is our responsibility to be outside of ourselves for others. That does not necessarily only mean believe in Jesus and go to heaven. That's a good message. That's a great message. That's a life-saving message. But our message Our calling beyond our mission is not just to say that. You see, in the Messianic community, we have something that so many don't have. And we have something that Yeshua says, the love of many will grow cold due to what? Lawlessness, he says. What does that mean? That means distance from Torah. And over 2,000 years, there's been such a distance from Torah and such a distance from the Holy Shabbat and such a distance from the festivals and such a distance from all the things that Yeshua and the disciples would have known and walked out. So your mission is not just to go to somebody and say, do you believe in Jesus? You should, you're gonna go to heaven. Your mission is to help People walk with God here and there. And so we have this unique evangelical calling to lead people into the kingdom and then walk with them. How do we do it? Well, we could put more people in these seats. And I'm not saying that in any kind of guilt fashion. I'm saying we, we should share We should go beyond, and if not now, when? Time is literally short, even though we may all be dead before Messiah returns. We must rise above our calling. 
Every human has the capacity to rise above his mission. Well, I'm not an evangelist, amen. Fine, you don't need to be anything you're not. Did you know that in the parable of talents, he gave them each according to their ability? Whatever you are, a butcher, a baker, a candlestick maker, you have a mission and you have the ability to rise above it. And you should. Now, this is not, I tricked you, of course, because I like to trick you with my messages that I send out on Friday. We're not talking about the Romans road or whatever the other evangelism tools are. We're talking about messianic Jewish evangelism. We're talking about bringing a message to the church community that already knows Yeshua, who is missing out on the other parts of the peace. We are talking about reaching to the Jewish community who has a part of the peace but doesn't have Yeshua. So that's a big mission for us. It's so much more than two hours on a Saturday. I do believe Noah would be sitting in the seats for two hours on Saturday. And Abraham might not even be here on Saturday sometimes because he'd be out fulfilling the mission. If we are not for ourselves, who will be for us? Take care of yourselves. If we are only for ourselves, who are we? Take care of others. And if not now, when? The harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Do you know who those workers are? You got it. You got the message? Shabbat Shalom. We hope you enjoyed the weekly teaching. We'd love to hear from you with a comment, a prayer request, or questions you might have. We believe the mission and message of Messianic Judaism is something the world needs now. If you enjoy these teachings, would you consider financially supporting the work of Nachamu Ami by visiting our website at www.makinmessianic.com and clicking the Give Online button in the upper right corner. Thank you again for listening.